Well, we missed you, Kim. <laughs> I tell you what, it is so therapeutic to sing those songs to the Lord, great uh, songs tonight. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you're not the only one that uh, maybe had a rough day. You know, we have those from time to time. And uh, I think the Word of God um, kind of has a way of bringing us back into a right fellowship with, with Him. And so I love those songs. God is so good. He's been good to me. I know He's been good to you as well. So thanks for coming back tonight, especially after last week's topic in our uh, Prophecy Night series. Uh, I apologize that we weren't able to meet in person last week, but it actually was kind of providential because I could just really unleash and not have to worry about anybody throwing anything at me. I was in the safety of my little uh, studio beneath the stars there. But uh, anyway, we're going to continue tonight with our uh, look at the increasing manifestations uh, of the Spirit. And, you know, it is, uh, you'd have to be living under a rock not to recognize that there's some really crazy stuff going on in this world. And, you know, whether you call that supernatural or paranormal or spiritual or phenomenalistic, they're all different terms for it. Technically speaking, supernatural really would probably in a textbook sense be reserved for God because God's the only one outside of the realm of time, space, and matter. Uh, God created everything else, and God is eternal. He eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Everything else is created, so if you're not uh, supernatural, you're natural or normal. So probably the best term is paranormal. In my Spirit of the Antichrist books, I call it the phenomenalistic or phenomena. But regardless of what you call it, there's really an upsurge in spiritual activity. Uh, I heard from my friend Bob Ulrich today at Prophecy Watchers, and he made a comment that uh, he had talked to someone recently who was pushing back on the concept that uh, we could be very close to the rapture, that the rapture might be right around the corner. And he and I both kind of thought to ourselves, this guy's got to be blind not to see the signs of the times. It's all around us. And so uh, the theme for our prophecy night has been, as we enter part 14 of this uh, series, uh, why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. And we're in the midst of a discussion of uh, how the stage is being set demonically. And I know we talked about some pretty uh, maybe interesting stuff last week, and, and I, I can tell from some of the feedback that we got. Remember, this each week this uh, material is viewed or listened to by over 5,000 people from week to week. So we don't have near that many in the room, but there's live streamers, there's people that watch the videos over the next three or four days that listen to the podcast audio only. So no shortage of people that are getting this message and uh, law of large numbers when that happens you're going to get some feedback and it was a pretty uh, pretty heavy feedback week you know from from last week but that's okay but I, I want to clarify as we pick up where we left off and talk uh, and to some extent about more of the same tonight uh, the uh, once again the biblical basis for all this I mean I understand that you may not have heard some of these things or maybe you've heard about them but you dismissed them and and, and we've got to run everything we hear through the grid of scripture and I think that's what I've been trying to do for 16 years since I, my eyes were open to the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy is to say, how does all this crazy stuff that I was lied to about for years, how does it fit with my biblical worldview? In other words, the Bible is what matters most. It's our standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And while there's all kinds of experiential evidence and anecdotes out there, if they can't be properly understood uh, within the realm of biblical doctrine then we've got a problem. So 
Uh, that's all I've been trying to do is connect, uh, connect those dots. So we're talking here about the Luciferian conspiracy, just by way of review, as I have been talking about, the, the greatest conspiracy known to man is the conspiracy between Satan, evil spirits, and human accomplices to try to take over the world. He's been trying to do so ever since his failed coup attempt in heaven, and uh, now he's trying to continue his attacks on the creator of the universe, uh, our almighty God, to try to usurp his control and have all of creation for himself. And uh, so in this particular series in the, or subsection of this uh, series, we're talking about the unseen element of this conspiracy, the evil spirits. Now, I mentioned last night on a podcast I did, which I really encourage you to listen to. It was almost two hours, and I, I felt like it flew by. I mean, when we, when we finished and I looked at the clock, I thought, I can't believe we were talking for two hours. But it was a small group uh, out of, uh, well, really across the country, but their home base is in Florida, but somewhere in Washington, and they were all over, and just a Q&A. And we took, covered a lot of ground, but I mentioned this last night, and I'll mention it again for those of you that haven't uh, watched that or listened to that, rather. It was a podcast. And that is, you'll hear me start to say, use the term evil spirits more and more as I am working my way through kind of a, you know, a, a rethinking of biblical demonology and angelology and this whole concept. In the books, the, the, my two latest books, I take the view that demons are, are fallen angels. I still hold that view, but I understand that within the realm of conservative biblical dispensational theology, there are uh, differing views that uh, I'm, I want to you know, kind of think through. And I've got some people that I deeply respect that I'm dialoguing with. I'm writing back and forth with them and talking with them about these types of things. And so evil spirits is a more generic term. As we've been talking about last week and we'll continue today or tonight, there, there are different types of evil spirits. You know, you've got fallen angels, you've got, which may very well be demons. That's my view. You've got the Nephilim or the hybrids that were the offspring of the unholy alliance between the fallen angels and the human women. Uh, and then you've got just, you know, uh, not necessarily any other class, but you've got other manifestations that emanate from either demons or fallen angels or these uh, Nephilim. So when you see evil spirits, just understand that I'm trying to cast a broad net here. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, exactly how we classify them, although we want to be biblical and we want to defend our views from Scripture, of course. But Satan has at his disposal an army of unseen evil spirits, and that's a biblical term, by the way, as we read about last week, the unclean spirits that were talked about in the Gospels. He's got this army at his disposal that are not human. And, and they constitute a big part of this conspiracy. They were the original co-conspirators with Satan in heaven when he sought to overthrow God. And then Satan has since solicited uh, the uh, help uh, and uh, teammates, if you will, of human accomplices uh, that are part of this conspiracy. They call themselves Luciferians. They worship Satan the way you and I worship God. Uh, so evil spirits, demons, whatever you you know think of them as, and, and I think we can come with a more specific biblical hierarchy of this, but for the purposes of these manifestations, uh, they're all part of the same team, and that's kind of what I wanted to clarify. So we've been talking about how, you know, there is a cosmic struggle in the heavenly realm uh, between Satan and God, and that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more that cosmic struggle is going to manifest itself here, down here in uh, the earthly realm. The battle is more and more often moving from the heavenlies to uh, the earthly realm. And so I want to start tonight by diving into some passages of Scripture before I get to more manifestations uh, that show us that this is not all that 
unusual. If you understand the Bible, it really should not shock you that there is a very real, very serious spiritual battle taking place in the unseen realm. And consequently, sometimes that battle spills over into the realm that we can see. And there are a number of ways that it does that, and we're going to talk about some more of those uh, tonight. But we could go back to Revelation chapter 12, when we read in the middle of the tribulation here, a, a war breaks out in heaven, and you might think here a battle is the idea in Greek, uh, between Michael and his angels fighting with the dragon. So Michael, the archangel, fighting along with other good angels, unfallen angels, fighting against the dragon, which is Satan, and his angels, the fallen angels. Uh, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So Satan and his demons, or his fallen angels, failed. And you know, they, they lost this battle, and the result of it was that it was they were cast out of heaven. Uh, Michael, we know, is the archangel from Jude chapter 9, uh, in fact, uh, let's look at that verse. We read, yet Michael the archangel, notice the archangel, not an archangel. There's extra biblical literature that suggests there are other archangels. The Bible does not say that. Uh, you know, we can't say, all we can say is what the Bible says, and the Bible speaks of it in the singular. But yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviving accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So, in the context here, Jude is, of course, talking about false teachers and the presumption uh, and haughtiness of these false teachers stands out boldly, Jude says, when compared with Michael, the archangel's submission and reverence as he dealt with another powerful entity, Satan himself. Uh, Michael did not dare to treat the devil flippantly or condescendingly or mockingly. He, he was respectful. Um, and Jude's point is, how much more should the false teachers submit to and respect God? So what's interesting is we don't know anything about this dispute over the body of Moses. It comes from an extra-biblical source. Uh, it's uh, the, the book, uh, an apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses, uh, which is not inspired, but of course under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Jude to write, and the portion that he included here in this letter, by definition, is inspired and inerrant and infallible. The Holy Spirit enabled him to record what was accurate and true. He wasn't endorsing the whole apocryphal book of the Assumption of Moses, but just uh, saying that this was a true story. So Michael is, in fact, uh, the archangel. Back to Revelation uh, chapter 12. Uh, my mentor from uh, years ago, who's with the Lord now, but uh, the one of the preeminent scholars on eschatology, Dr. John Walbert, said, quote, uh, Michael is the most powerful of all the holy angels. And I think that's true. He holds the high rank among uh, the unfallen angels, uh, just as Satan holds the highest rank among the fallen angels. Um, and I know there's some disagreement out there about whether Satan, uh, as a cherub, the Bible clearly says he's a cherub in Ezekiel 28, whether cherubs were a classification of angel or a separate type of created being altogether. Again, they're all part of the spiritual realm, good guys and bad guys, loosely speaking. Uh, I don't want to get down into the weeds of classifying them. I think there's a place for that, and I've done that elsewhere. But uh, for this point, let's just assume Satan is the highest-ranking uh, fallen angel. So John here in this vision in the book of Revelation sees Michael waging war with Satan and his angels. And Michael had battled with Satan in the past, as we saw in Jude chapter 9. But this particular battle takes place 
just before the last part of the tribulation, at the, the second half after the midpoint of the tribulation. And in John's vision, Satan's forces proved to be weaker, and God threw them out of heaven. And as a result of this battle, Satan no longer has access to heaven. We know from the book of Job and Daniel and Zechariah, various passages, that Satan currently can go in and out of heaven and accuse us before the Lord and, and go before the throne of God and have conversations with God. But at this 11th hour, as the cosmic battle is reaching its pinnacle, uh, that will be climaxed at the Battle of Armageddon when Christ returns. At that point, God says enough is enough. He's, he does not want to hear Satan's accusations against believers anymore. Be done with you. Be gone with you. And so now Satan is confined to the earth. And this dragon, as he's called here, uh, becomes even more fierce in these waning uh, months of the tribulation. He's cruel and monstrous. Um, and uh, he's called the serpent which, of course, stresses, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, his uh, craftiness, the way it's described there in the New King James, uh, and his uh, subtle deception and so forth. The name devil uh, here, it, as you see, goes on to say, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So there can be no question here who this guy is. I mean, named just about every name of him given in Scripture. Uh, he, he's, he is, uh, the name devil there means accuser or slanderer. Um, so the, the name for this evil one would have made an especially strong impact at the end of the first century to the original recipients of John's revelation here, the revelation of Jesus Christ that John uh, was inspired to write because there was a well-known and well-hated figure in their society at that time called the delator or the paid informer was what he was called. And he made his living by accusing people falsely before the authorities. And John says under the inspiration of the Spirit, that's who the devil is. He's a false accuser. Remember, Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. So another passage that I think should make it very clear that there is a cosmic, unseen, spiritual element to this battle. The battle is not against flesh and blood, as we know from Ephesians, is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, but I fear, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now notice what he says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, remember that word, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So the Jesus that Paul's critics in Corinth were preaching was different enough from the Christ whom Paul preached that he could say their Jesus was a different person altogether. Uh, by the way, if, these, these three ifs here in Greek, we know that it's uh, an assumption that it's true. In other words, if and you are, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's called a first-class conditional clause. It's almost better translated since. So... For since he who comes preaches another Jesus, or since you receive a different spirit, the idea here is, you know, this, this was a reality in their, in their lives. And by listening to the false teacher's message, the church in Corinth had come under the influence of some sort of spirit. It was not the Holy Spirit. It was not God the Spirit. And they were in danger of accepting a different gospel. And I believe the same thing is happening today. You know, we are, you know, this is the, the, the battle is still the same. It's just gone on for 2,000 more years than it had at the time the New Testament was written. And uh, so we see this 
you know, prevalence of false gospels everywhere. My book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, talks about six, broadly speaking, false gospel models that are so prevalent in evangelicalism today. And that's, we need to understand that the root of that is an evil spirit that Paul talked about uh, here. He goes on uh, in uh, verse uh, 14 to say, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now just let that sink in. If you need any you know, evidence or help in understanding how deception can be so prevalent today, just remember Satan parades around like an angel of light. His ultimate goal is to turn people away from Jesus Christ, the source of life. Satan's the source of death. He's a killer. John 8, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10, 10. And so uh, that's why Satan's man of the hour, who will rule the world in the final years before the return of Christ, is called the Antichrist, capital A, because he's everything that Satan represents and nothing that Christ represents. And so he, you know, I believe in dwelt by Satan, 2 Thessalonians 2, will likewise, you know, come across at first as being something appealing, something good, something enticing, like that proverbial shiny red apple that tempted uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, it's interesting to me when you stop and think about it that the founders of two of the world's largest religions started as a result of demonic, evil angel influence. I mean, think about it. Um, Paul said in, in Galatians, the first letter he ever wrote, he cautioned those new believers at that time in southern Galatia, the cities that he had visited on his first missionary journey, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, uh, Pisidia, that region. He said, even if we or an angel from heaven, from the heavenlies is the idea. Now, how, when's the last time you read that and really understood what Paul is saying here, that there are false angels on, you know, bad guys, fallen angels, who come and try to entice people into a false religion. So we could think of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, who claimed he was given special revelation by the angel Moroni. It's exactly the application of what Paul is warning against here. Or Muhammad, the founder of Islam, who meditated in a cave for several months, during which time he was visited by fallen angels. And the result was the foundation of Islam in the late 6th century A.D. But in both cases, we have a fallen angel at the behest of Satan leading away what is now millions and even billions of people who are following Satan who was masquerading as an angel of light, who are following a gospel that's being preached from another angel that is not the gospel of God's words and interesting God's word and interesting enough we also have in both cases Mormonism and Islam a counterfeit truth a counterfeit bible we've got the Quran and we've got the book of Mormon which they teach is infallible as part of you know special divine revelation see satan is a liar and the father of lies and i think Sadly, as Paul warned against in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, much of the church today is asleep to the reality of this thing. We, we think two-dimensionally. We think uh, fleshly. We think only in terms of what 
brings us pleasure or meets our needs or we just we become consumed by the stresses and anxieties of life that make us go, man, this day really, let's just say, stunk. <laughs> okay? Um, we are on uh, the Internet right now, after all. No, we, that, it's because we're consumed with the, the here and the now, and we forget that there's something so much bigger going on in this world. And this world as we know it is just a speck on the timeline of eternity, God has laid out very plainly for us in his word a plan of the ages that goes from Genesis to Revelation, the grand meta-narrative of Scripture that starts with creation to fall to redemption all the way to recreation when Christ comes back and makes all things new in the new heavens and the new earth. And when we do what Paul tells us to do time and again, which is set our mind on things above where Christ is or recognize that our citizenship is where? In heaven, not on earth. That we are, or as Peter said, we're not of this world, we're just sojourners passing through. When we begin to have the right perspective, it will make all of life's problems seem minuscule. And I believe that the church is asleep, by and large, today, and not focusing on this, uh, the reality of this spiritual battle. God needs soldiers in the army right now, Ephesians 6. We need believers that will put on the spiritual armor and get ready. I mean, Every day things are happening that, that make me go, you know, like someone said, uh, you know, they calculated based on a bunch of math mumbo jumbo, obviously kind of the common core type math, not the biblical math, apparently, <laughs> that the rapture is not going to happen for another 122 years. And I go, 122 years? I, I'm wondering if I'm going to be here 122 minutes from now. That's, that's how close I think the return of the Lord uh, is. Now, I'm not setting dates. I'm just saying you, you look at the signs of the times, and it is spiraling rapidly toward uh, the tribulation. And we know the rapture happens before uh, the tribulation. So if I sound a little uh, energized tonight, it's because, you know, I predictably understood that the teaching that I provided last week was going to freak some people out, to put it, you know, that's the Greek word for bothersome people, I think. Um, <laughs> And, and it did, and that's okay. Uh, I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm trying to take the realities that we see in the world all around us that are not disputed. We may argue about how to explain them, but if you're still arguing that UFOs don't exist and it's all some big made-up thing, or Bigfoot doesn't exist, it's all made up, or these things don't exist, then, you know, you are, you, you know, you're self-deceived and you, there's no hope. <laughs> The issue isn't whether they exist. The issue is what are they? And that's what we're trying to do through the lens of Scripture is to try to make sense of this stuff theologically in a way that doesn't violate the foundational principles of our you know, biblical paradigm. So, uh, you know, I, I get frustrated because I feel like, you know, you couldn't be any plainer, couldn't be any clearer, and yet people just, they don't have an appetite for it. Uh, but I appreciate that those of you that are here tonight and that uh, you know continue to watch our uh, videos do seem to have an interest in finding out what it's all about. So very quickly, because I have a lot of ground to cover uh, tonight, I want to just review, just one right after the other, some of the manifestations of evil spirits that we talked about last week. Remember, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Uh, so uh, what do those heavenly enemies look like when they show up down here on earth? 
Well, they look like shapeshifters in the first place, and we talked about that. I have a chapter on that, chapter 10 in Spirit of the Antichrist, volume 2. If you don't have a copy, you can pick one up at the table in the lobby. But uh, shapeshifting just means when these evil spirits take on either human or animal form. And we talked about a lot of them. We talked about Bigfoot. We talked about Mothman. We talked about Chupacabras. I gave the background on a lot of these last week in more detail. We talked about Thunderbirds or uh, the Men in Black. What in the world's going on there? You know, Hollywood loves uh, to, you know, be a mouthpiece to illustrate reality. And I mentioned this last night on the podcast, but if, if, if the ongoing debate that you hear about, does art imitate life or life imitate art? And sometimes people say both. Wrong. It's a slam dunk in my mind. Art always imitates life. Art is reflecting the reality of what's going on around us, and especially in Hollywood, which has been controlled by satanic elements from its inception. That's where the very name Hollywood comes from. Witches used to use branches from the holly tree uh, to cast their spells. We talked about Slender Man. We talked about Hat Man. Uh, we talked about Wolf Man. And, of course, uh, we talked and spent quite a bit of time talking about black-eyed kids, not that they're any more of a uh, common manifestation of evil spirits than any of the others necessarily, but it's just one that I have a keen interest in that I've studied for about 12 years. And so uh, if you didn't watch last week's video, you can go back and check that out. Uh, we're going to get to the discussion of UFOs, but I mentioned greys as another, uh, you know, basic manifestation of evil spirits, the humanoids. They Everyone all across the globe for decades as they have described them, and actually there's even ancient evidence and literature of, in a very cryptic form, people describing the same type of look, you know, a thousand years ago, ancient times, you know. But uh, in certainly since the dawn of the modern UFO period in the, in the 1940s and, and on, uh, all across the globe, completely unconnected, unrelated, never having any connection or having read any accounts, people see something they haven't experienced, they write it down, and it looks like that. So how do you explain that? Well, it's an evil manifestation. And we talked about the different, you know, Loch Ness Monster, Champ, Ogopogo, uh, and uh, some of these others uh, as well. And then I spent quite a bit of time last week. Did I get turned off? No? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I spent quite a, little, a lot of time last week going through the, the, the gospel record of demon possession and sort of making a master list of uh, characters, characteristics uh, that are described in the Gospels of demon possession, and we looked at, uh, you know, several manifestations of those. And then we talked about the Nephilim a couple of weeks ago, and we touched on it uh, again. Uh, you know, the Nephilim are just another type of evil spirit. They are hybrids. I don't want to take the time to go back in and review that, but we looked at Genesis 6 and all of that uh, some time ago. So the reality is that, you know, one of the distinctive characteristics of the future Antichrist will be his ability to engage in activities that defy the natural order. That's why we call them paranormal. They're not normal. They're, you know, they're not natural. Uh, the battle between Satan and God is a spiritual one at its core, and it takes place primarily in the supernatural realm, the heavenlies, uh, but sometimes it spills over into the physical world. In the books, I call this the spirit of phenomena, um, and the closer we get to the tribulation and the unveiling of the Antichrist, then the more unexplained phenomena we're going to see. The spirit of phenomena will be a trademark in the days leading up to the return of Christ. It's one of the ways in which 
the Antichrist is going to garner worldwide attention and notoriety. Remember, the Bible tells us the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. What is that talking about there? That's not just meaningless verbiage. That's a reference that has a correspondence in reality, and that is power and signs and you know, sort of paranormal type things. Jesus warned, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And when Jesus referred to the elect here, remember he's talking about Israel. Uh, Israel the elect is a common phrase to refer to the nation of Israel because as the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is God's chosen. That's what elect means, nation. So this isn't a salvation context here or a Calvinist reference. This is talking about the nation of Israel. And remember, the second time Christ comes back, in contradistinction to the first time when they crowned him with thorns, they're going to receive him. They're going to believe the gospel and then cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they won't be deceived, but Jesus is saying here that the deception is going to be so powerful that if God's word hadn't already promised that they're going to be supernaturally regathered into the land of their fathers, the Holy Land, then they too might be uh, deceived. During the tribulation, the false prophet which I've been doing a lot of research on lately in preparation for my next book, uh, he, he's going to serve kind of as the second in command, if you will, the, the sidekick uh, of the Antichrist, who's the global leader. And he's going to function under the direction of the Antichrist, who's functioning under the direction of Satan. And the book of Revelation describes the false prophet this way. He, the false prophet, is going to perform great signs. Well, there you go. He's going to make fire come down from heaven. These are not normal uh, things. He deceives... This is still the false prophet. All those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he tells those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Uh, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. We don't have time to get into that, but I am going to get there in this series when we talk more about AI and how some of the descriptions of life on earth during that seven-year tribulation could easily, uh, we could easily see taking place now in this realm of artificial uh, intelligence. So I want to look at some more, you know, paranormal evil manifestations. As I said, Satan's power is going to come directly from Satan. Satan is spirit. He's not a human. He's, a, I believe, a fallen angel and or the highest class of evil spirit, however you want to look at it. And the phenomena that he and the false prophet uh, will display during that time comes, that, that the Antichrist and the false prophet will display, comes directly from Satan. And I pointed this out as well in the book, that throughout human history, if you look at God's you know, historical narrative in Scripture from creation, every time there's a major shift in dispensation, a major shift in you know, the way... God interacts with mankind. And by the way, dispensation is a biblical term. comes straight out of Ephesians 3. It's the Greek word oikonomos or economy. And frankly, it's, it's amazing to me that so many people uh, get uptight about that term and reject it, and, and they don't like dispensational theology. And I'm going, you, you got to be just not paying attention to recognize that God has interacted with people differently through the ages. I mean, as my friend Mark said on a podcast I did last week, you know, if you're not walking around the earth naked and tending a garden, then you understand things are different now than they once were. If you're not out in your front yard building an ark, 
Things are a little different now than they once were. See, God interacts with people over human history differently in different times. It doesn't mean there's different ways of salvation. Ever since the fall of man, we've only been saved one way, by faith. Abraham, the father of Israel, believed God and was justified, declared righteous. So we're not talking about different ways of salvation. We're just saying that rules of engagement, rules of interaction with God have kind of changed. And today, in the present church age, we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have unlimited access to the throne room of God in heaven through the new and living way opened up for us by the blood of Christ. We don't have to go through a human mediary or some sacrificial ritualistic system. Jesus Christ was the once for all sacrifice. And now, you know, we have special unique blessings of this age that others in different ages didn't have. Uh, and there'll be new uh, kind of uh, dispensational paradigms in the times to come. In the millennium, for example, it will be a little bit different. Um, but every time there's a shift in those dispensations, if you go back and look at the record, we see an upsurge in supernatural demonic type activity. Uh, you know, it's like Satan understands where this story is headed and he's resisting each turn of the page. You know, that's the idea there. So um, it is, after all, the spiritual battle, the passage I quoted earlier, Ephesians 6, 12. And when things heat up on earth, it is because they're heating up in the heavens. And of course, the closer we get to the end times, the spirit of phenomena is going to be on the rise. In the waning days of the tribulation, just prior to the battle of Armageddon, unclean spirits like frogs will emanate from Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We read about this in Revelation 16. Jesus, speaking about that future time, says there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, uh, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. See, unlike today, I believe those that are left behind at the rapture and that live through and experience the tribulation, I think there will come a point when they will go, okay, I get it. Things are about to dramatically change. This is an end of the world as we know it a scenario. And they're going to be terrified. And their only hope will be to place their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. But uh, Jesus tells us the powers of the heavens will be uh, shaken. So what are some other manifestations today uh, of this evil spirit, these evil spirits, that we can say this is not of this world? All right, so here's where you can start making notes to email me about, okay? Um, the first one would be poltergeist, or again, picking up where we left off last time. This is an image from the 1982 uh, movie starring Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, uh, and uh, it was produced by Steven Spielberg, and a lot of people think directed by him, too. There's some dispute over that, but Steven Spielberg and Frank Marshall definitely uh, produced it, and it focuses on a suburban family whose home is invaded by evil spirits that abduct their youngest daughter. So a poltergeist is an evil spirit that makes itself known in houses or buildings through noises and other strange occurrences. And we see no shortage of this type of evidence, uh, not only throughout the world, but throughout history. Uh, Dr. Colm Kelleher, in a, a journal article that he wrote uh, just recently, talks about one of the uh, infamous cases that took place in the, place in the uh, UK in South Shields, back in 2006 and 2007. 
Uh, and this has been studied widely and written about, uh, investigated by dozens of scientists, all kinds of books and journals about it. But the case included windows opening and shutting repeatedly, appearances of anomalous black shapes, sounds of footsteps in the loft, banging and thumping noises in the bedrooms, people being pushed and you know, violently from behind, discarnate voices, objects being moved around. The case also included further evidence of this uh, next thing that I'm going to talk about, that is the hitchhiker effect. So let me come back to that here in a second. But the hitchhiker effect uh, is when the bizarre antics of this poltergeist would spread outward from the home through the people involved, and then it would start to affect others that they then came in contact with family members, friends, colleagues, even investigators would go home and all of a sudden things would start uh, happening there like a communicable uh, disease. So the hitchhiker effect, uh, here's another article here by uh, Colin Kelleher, the Pentagon's secret UFO program, the hitchhiker effect and models of contagion. This is from Edge Science in June of 2022. But uh, this, this hitchhiker effect is the feeling of bringing something home and the subsequent person-to-person transmissibility of paranormal phenomena, uh, which we call the hitchhiker effect. Um, I'll save my discussion of uh, this next one here until after I've introduced Skinwalker. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, show, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, It's interesting. I've been following that for about 15 years before it became a a documentary or a show. There are two books on the subject. One, the the sequel just came out in 2021, but the first one was called Hunt for the Skinwalker, Science Confronts the Unexplained at a Remote Ranch in Utah by George Knapp and Dr. Calm Kelleher, who was one of the leading scientists investigating all this. And it tells the paranormal experiences that were witnessed by the uh, what's called in the book uh, the Gormans, uh, at the time, the first book came out, and I don't think I have the exact date, but it would have been back in the, the early 2000s. Um, the family that owned it didn't want their name revealed, so that you know, when they had all these government agencies coming in doing research trying to figure out what in the world is going on, so they called them uh, in uh, the book the Gormans. It's now widely known because the ranch has changed hands twice. It was bought by Robert Bigelow, who owned it for 10 years, the, the aerospace uh, magnet. And then now it's owned by um, uh, the guy from Las Vegas um, that runs the show. Let me see if I have his name in here. Um, anyway, uh, I can't believe I forgot his name. I was just in... Uh, Utah. He's not from Vegas. That's where Bigel is from. He's from uh, Salt Lake City. Anyway, the, the real estate magnet, the guy that's, that runs the show. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, since then, the name has come out, and their real name is the Shermans. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Rob, Brandon Fugel, that's the guy's name. So Brandon Fugel's the one who owns it now, and he's, you know, brought in these researchers who are brilliant, by the way. If you watch the show, you might think there's a little bit of Hollywoodishness to it, but the people behind the scenes, I've heard them interviewed, they're actually, you know, really doing the scientific research. But Skinwalker Ranch is uh, one of the top hotspots for paranormal activity in the United States. And I list these in my book in Chapter 10, Volume 2. Uh, but places like Sedona, uh, in fact, a place right here in our backyard, 
makes the top five list, and that's Elbert County, Colorado. If you haven't heard that, there's a ranch at Elbert County, Colorado, which I've got an open invitation from the owners to come just, you know, spend some time there. I just haven't had the time to do it. But it's widely considered one of the top five hotspots for paranormal activity. What do we mean by paranormal activity? Well, we mean UFOs, animal mutilations, orbs, poltergeist-type type activity, shape-shifting and skinwalking, all of the kinds of things that we talked about uh, last week. So back to the hitchhiker effect, uh, several of the researchers um, on Skinwalker Ranch, on the research team, have experienced this type of effect, and it's just stunning when you begin to really uh, look into it. So uh, another manifestation, just kind of going down through the list here, of evil spirits today, and a, a relevant subject related to that is something that started back in the 1980s, and that's Project Blue Beam. It was developed by NASA in coordination with the CIA. It was a military tool originally, or at least according to the official narrative, to be used as a psychological operation in the event of wartime against the enemy. Uh, and the idea was they would create holographic images or projections up into the skies and then give them you know, voices in an attempt to get the enemy to lay down their weapons. So they might project, you see this artist rendering here, Christ, but you could do it the same thing with, you know, Muhammad or could be anything, could be aliens, could be UFOs, right? Uh, they could try to, to make uh, anything project on there. It could be, it could actually get really scary. I saw this one uh, suggested thing from uh, Project Bluebeam. Now that would really, that would really be scary. Gary, you got to look at this so that you can tell, uh, tell Suzanne. All right, so Project Bluebeam, they can project all kinds of images up into the clouds. Uh, and, you know, holograms are, are nothing new. And they've just come so far, especially with AI now, that it's really not even correct to call them holographic images. Uh, but uh, Project Bluebeam is something that has kind of gotten a lot of uh, resurgence. Um, but this idea of holographic images you know, there was an outcry back when uh, it was announced in 2012, what's that, 12, 11 years ago, that uh, Whitney Houston was going on tour. Uh, and people lined up and paid $100 a ticket to see her sing. And you're going, 2012, she'd been dead for quite a while by then. Yeah, no, that's right, she was. And people all around the world attended her concerts, and they were holograms. The same thing is true of Tupac, Roy Orbison, and many other dead entertainers that have gone on tour. Here's Buddy Holly. The hologram concert revolution is here. Whether you like it or not, meet the company touring Whitney Houston and Buddy Holly. It's getting to be where you go to a concert, you don't know whether you're watching a dead performer or a living performer. Rolling Stone magazine, uh, you know, has an interesting article all about this. Live after death, inside music's booming new hologram touring industry. And get this, there's even a whole company that is sprung up, Hologram USA, where they use 3D holographic concerts and they offer them to businesses. If you want to do this for your big Christmas party or your company picnic, you can engage them and listen to the, their pitch on their website. Music lovers around the world can now watch their favorite artists performing live in multiple locations at the same time, but the best is yet to come. With Hologram USA's groundbreaking digital resurrection, you can bring musical le legends back on stage for an encore. Elvis has just re-entered the building. That's their marketing attack. So uh, this is from May 9th, 2019, how hologram technology is changing the future of the music industry. 
This is yet another way, like I've been talking about in my podcast with AI and ChatGPT and some of those things, another way in which the line of distinction between reality and falsehood is being, you know, shortened. Satan is the great deceiver. And someday he's going to deceive the whole world after the rapture into thinking that the Antichrist is God. And there will be a remnant, like there is in every age, who believe the gospel and reject the mark of the beast. And they, in many cases, will give the ultimate price for that, having to be beheaded. But by and large, the whole world is going to be deceived. Revelation tells us that. This, this devil who deceives the whole world, that's his goal. And so all of these evil activities, I believe, are being orchestrated by the dark side in an attempt to blur the distinction between truth and falsehood, uh, between reality and virtual reality. So back to Project Bluebeam. It started when uh, Canadian journalist Sergei Monast first exposed it in 1994. He, he later published a book on uh, the subject. Uh, he's from, he was in French, from Canada. Uh, but the book explains how Project Bluebeam ultimately ends, according to their own released documents, with an, a, a fake alien invasion that will be used to usher in a new world order. That's their own language. In December 1996, the police arrested Sergei Monast for homeschooling his children. Uh, you don't do that in Canada, at least not without great effort. Uh, and uh, they took his daughter away. Uh, the following day, Sergei Monast was released from jail and suspiciously died of what was officially called a heart attack. And by the way, if you ever saw the 1997 uh, movie Conspiracy Theory, where Mel Gibson was the star, Mel Gibson's character, Jerry Fletcher, was based on Sergei Monast. Well, prior to his book, going back in, to 1991, so what is that, five years earlier, uh, Janet Morris, who worked as a consultant to the Defense Department, the CIA, the NSA, and the CIA, helped create the, quote, Non-Lethality Policy Review Group that was led by Major General Chris S. Adams from the United States Air Force. And she published numerous, this is Morris, numerous white papers in 91 detailing this group's non-lethal war doctrine proposals and in, in specifically the papers promoted diversifying and expanding non-lethal weapons capabilities for use in increased American interventions in global conflicts and later in life she would explain in further detail that these non-lethal weapons programs were holograms that is Project Bluebeam. Uh, around 2004, give or take, Janet Morris appeared on British television uh, talking in depth about how the holograms were to be used to project Jesus, the devil, UFOs, Muhammad, and other uh, you know, uh, personalities, if you will, uh, not that Jesus is a personality, but in her mind it was, uh, into uh, the sky. So you remember here, uh, since late January, we've had four vessels uh, including the uh, suspected Chinese spy balloon that were spotted in North American airspace, and they were uh, shot down by the military. The first was uh, February 4th. But uh, Beijing confirmed the ownership of the first balloon, which they said was about the size of three buses, supposedly. But they insisted that it was a civil airship used for research. However, the Guardian reported that U.S. officials claim it was designed for surveillance after they investigated the debris. But what's interesting is this has once again brought up speculation about Project Bluebeam. Um, 
you know, who knows? Who knows somewhere where the truth lies? So Project Bluebeam is uh, something that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are on the cutting edge talking about it. Uh, it's now much more mainstream, and I believe it's just one more manifestation of evil the closer we get uh, to the return of Christ. Now, Bill Cooper is a name that many of you may know, especially if you followed uh, some of the Luciferian conspiracy over the years. But in 1991, uh, William Cooper, who was a former military serviceman, he wrote his book, Behold a Pale Horse, that you see in the bottom right there. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. He, here's one, that book should be on everybody's shelf. Uh, he, he really exposes a lot of truth. Again, he doesn't connect all the dots biblically the way we do in terms of the ultimate conspiracy, but he exposes a lot of lies that we've, uh, most people have come to believe. But he makes this statement in the book, can you imagine what will happen if Los Angeles is hit with a 9.0 quake? New York City is destroyed by a terrorist planted atomic bomb. World War III breaks out in the Middle East. The banks and the stock markets collapse. Extraterrestrials land on the White House lawn. Food disappears from the markets. Some people disappear and the Messiah presents himself to the world. And he wrote that yesterday? No, he wrote it in 1991. This is before the uh, you know buildings exploded on 9/11 in 2001. This is before uh, you know the bank and stock market collapses. This is before this, the admissions of UFO activity that the government has been studying for 70 years plus back in 2017. But it reads like something uh, that uh, you know. Just happened. Today. He's often referred to as one of the fathers of, uh, you know, the conspiracy theory movement, uh, meaning the capital C conspiracy. What the Bible teaches is the Luciferian conspiracy. By the way, Cooper, as some of you may know, speaking of 9/11, died just a couple of months after 9/11 in a shootout in Arizona with the Apache County Sheriff's Department because he was evading arrest for a tax evasion charge, and he was killed. So just. Uh, just another little tidbit there. Fascinating uh, guy. Um, so uh, let's talk about the gateway experience. It's blowing up on TikTok. Uh, Randy and I talked about this on our uh, week, uh, weekly world events update, which, by the way, we're scheduled for tomorrow at 9 o'clock. So we'll have that posted by midday tomorrow. Uh, can't wait to hear what he has to say uh, tomorrow. But the, uh, the gateway experience. So the intrigue involves around a classified 1983 CIA report on a technique that the CIA called the gateway process, uh, which is a training system designed to focus brainwave output to alter consciousness and ultimately escape the restrictions of time, space, and matter. As you're going to see in a moment, the CIA has been studying this type of thing for decades. Mind control, uh, it's no different really than what we see today with the transhumanist movement and the likes of Elon Musk and their Neuralink and brain-computer interfaces. This all was happening you know, behind the scenes for decades by our own government. Just read my chapter in Volume 1 on MKUltra and all the experiments that they uh, did there. But the CIA has long been interested in all sorts of psychic research, including the theory and applications of remote viewing. More on that in just a moment. Uh, uh, it's a fascinating subject, remote viewing. I've read several books on that. Uh, you can even get a look. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, so, you know, the documents from 1983 have since been declassified, as uh, Randy and I talked about, and now they're available uh, to view. Uh, so, 
The United States military, here's a Popular Mechanics article uh, about this subject. This is from April 11th, so this is fresh off the press here, just uh, not uh, long ago, a uh, month or so ago. Um, but uh, the United States military is always looking for new ways to create super soldiers. They use performance-enhancing and mind-altering drugs, MKUltra. They are currently experimenting with brain implant technology, BCI, that I mentioned a second ago. They've, they've even explored genetic engineering to try to breed the perfect soldier, transhumanism. But those are nothing compared to what happened in 1983 when Lieutenant Colonel Wayne McDonnell submitted a very unusual and detailed report to the Army Intelligence uh, and you can actually now that it's been declassified get that entire I think it's 30 page report it is sickening what the CIA was doing it's uh, the report is called analysis and assessment of the gateway process gateway being a gateway from time space and matter through a portal into another dimension Tra time and space uh, you know travel time travel basically uh, it's a step-by-step -step guide on how to achieve an out-of-body experience for the purpose of intelligence gathering. Um, so Colonel McDonald's report, uh, you know, goes much, much further. Uh, it talks about how they can't, not just that the subjects can project consciousness to a different place, but they can actually pull their consciousness completely out of this reality to any other point in time, space, and matter. So the Monroe Institute, this is from the website, thegatewayexperience.com. I don't recommend you go there. But to the Moreau Institute really furthers the experience and exploration of consciousness. This is their own about section on their website. Robert Monroe was the founder of this, uh, one of the leaders in the, all of this mind control stuff of the gateway experience. But it furthers the experience and exploration of consciousness, expands awareness and discovery of self through technology, education, research, and development. So let me give you a quick timeline here. 1950s, Robert Monroe, the namesake, of this uh, group was a radio broadcasting executive and he begins producing evidence that specific sound patterns have identifiable effects on human capabilities that can include things like alertness, sleepiness, expanded states of consciousness. Now even without the scientific research from you know 70 years ago backing this up, we should know that intuitively, you know. It's the reason when NBA players are doing warm-ups, they're not playing, you know, love songs from the 70s. They're playing hard rock, heavy metal, you know, satanic type music. Uh, and it's the reason when you're having a candlelight dinner, you play a certain kind of music. When you're trying to go to sleep at night, you play, you know, classical music or whatever. The music affects you. That's fairly intuitive. Uh, and as a side note, it's often pointed out that as a cherub, the top-ranking cherub, Satan might likely have been in charge of music in terms of worship music in heaven. So music is an interesting uh, subject. But anyway, so he starts doing this research in 1950s. 1956, uh, uh, Robert Moreau forms a research and development division inside his radio program called Ram Enterprises. The goal was to study sound effects on human consciousness. He was obsessed with sleep learning. Uh, or hypnopedia, which exposes sleepers to sound recordings to boost memory of previously learned information. All scientific, you know, documented stuff that they're trying to use the scientific method to experiment with. 1958, while experimenting with sleep learning, Monroe discovers an unusual phenomena. He described it as sensations of paralysis and vibration accompanied by bright light. And it allegedly happens nine times over the preceding six weeks and culminates in an OBE, an out-of-body experience. In 1962, 
Ram Enterprises moves to Virginia and renames itself Monroe Industries. This is their headquarters in Virginia that you see on the screen there. Uh, it becomes an active it becomes active in radio station ownership, cable television, and later in the production and sale of audio cassettes. And these cassettes contain applied learnings from the corporate research program, which is named the Monroe Institute, renamed the Monroe Institute. Um, so changed from Monroe Industries to the Monroe Institute. Monroe publishes his uh, first of a trilogy. I'm just showing you different versions of the first book here called Journeys Out of the Body, uh, which is where we get the popularized term today, out-of-body experience. It comes from Monroe's research and this book. You never really heard about it much before Monroe. Now people are all over the place talking about OBEs or out-of-body experiences. In 1972, a classified report circulated in the U.S. military and intelligence communities. It claims that the Soviet Union was pouring money. This, of course, was during the uh, Cold War, the height of the Cold War. The Soviet Union is pouring money into research involving ESP and psychokinesis uh, for espionage purposes. What's psychokinesis? The ability to, you know, bend spoons with your mind or move something across the kitchen counter from a distance with your mind, right? Um, Monroe dubs the state hemisync, hemispheric synchronization, um, because he, he is focusing on, he, he, he writes several patents or gets several patents that were talked about using audio techniques to stimulate brain functions from the left and right hemispheres of the brain, and they could become synchronized and, and turn you into basically this... Uh, mental soldier where you can trigger an altered state of consciousness. Uh, another name that you should be familiar with, I'll mention him more about him in a second in conjunction with a few other remote viewers, but Army veteran Joseph McMonagall contributes to 450 remote viewing missions under Project Stargate. Well, what's a Project Stargate? I'll come back to that in a second. It's a CIA operation, but finally you get to 1983, which is where I started. Uh, this subject about the declassified document of the gateway process, and uh, that's when the CIA report was first issued uh, in 2003. It was parts of it were declassified, and then more recently in 2017, the CIA. So what's that? Just six years ago, declassified 12 million pages of records from Operation Stargate. So what is Operation Stargate? Well, physicist Russell Targ, I've read several books by him, and Hal Putoff, uh, people might know him if you followed ufology, um, they were parapsychology researchers at Stanford Research Institute, SRI, and they coined the term remote viewing, but the government used them in the CIA to create this entire uh, program in the 70s and 80s, and they worked with famous remote viewers, famous now because of this program, Uri Geller, Ingo Swan, maybe you've heard some of these people interviewed, Pat Price, Joseph McMonagall, whom I mentioned earlier, and others, and they were all part of the Stargate Project. The Stargate Project was a secret U.S. Army unit established in 1978 at Fort Meade, Maryland by the Defense Intelligence Agency and the uh, Stanford Research Institute to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence applications. Notice and domestic. CIA is only supposed to be dealing with, you know, overseas stuff, but that's not the case. Fascinating subject. It, it, it interconnects with 
MK Ultra, which they were also doing, the creation of super soldiers like the uh, Jason Bourne series. Remember, art imitates life. Speaking of which, if you want to know a Hollywood uh, expose on Operation Stargate and the concept of remote viewing, uh, you can check out the movie starring uh, George Clooney called The Men Who Stare at Goats. This is exactly straight out of the declassified documents from the Stargate project where these remote viewers would stare at a goat and it would drop over dead. So um, uh, just an amazing subject, this idea of uh, remote viewing, which is a demonic uh, at its core. Notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, think about all the military applications that we've just talked about, the Monroe Institute, uh, MK Ultra. Uh, Project Stargate or Stargate Project. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down strong for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and everything high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And notice, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It really is, folks, a battle for the mind, and Satan. In a, in, a, in a variety of ways, a host of ways, is attacking the minds of human beings. And, and the Luciferians have been doing this in, in earnest, going all the way back to the early 1900s with the establishment of the compulsory government schooling system where they mind control children for eight hours a day, for five days a week, for 13 years. And then we wonder why our kids don't stand a chance and why several generations later we're now living in the just a state of utter moral collapse where we can't even, we have a Supreme Court justice who can't even define what a woman is. And we've got, you know, all kinds of gender surrender movement, uh, all, you know, killing millions of babies, innocent babies in the womb and so forth. It's a battle for the mind. And Satan knows that. And his earthly co-conspirators know that. And they've been targeting the mind intensely, uh, intentionally for decades. Uh, I've said this before at conferences. I don't know if I've ever said it in here, but you know, from the research that I've done, it is widely known that a CIA mind control expert, one of these parapsychologists that, that understands the mind better than anybody possibly could, could get you alone in a room for 10 minutes and without touching you, have you strip naked, stand on top of the table, and sting Yankee Doodle Dandy, and you'd have no control over it. That's how powerful they can tap into the mind and make you do things. So all of this stuff that we see happening in terms of data mining and data collection and tracking and why I'm so passionate against the digital ID and the, anything that's going to aid and abet them in gathering even more information about us, it's because it takes information for them to be able to get inside the mind and get to know you better than you even know yourself. And that's why this verse is so powerful to me, because we have got to stay in the Word of God through the knowledge of God. The Bible paints a picture of a cosmic battle between Satan and his armies and God and his armies, and we know who wins in the end, and we know a lot of the way it's going to play out. But along the way, there's a lot of bad things that are going to happen. And if we're not prepared with the spiritual armor that we read about in Ephesians 6, and we just go along the surface level, thinking two-dimensionally, forgetting what the battle is really all about, we're sitting ducks. 
And by the way, Satan's an equal, equal, equal opportunity killer. He doesn't care whether you're a believer or not. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so while believers may not ever be able to be indwelt and possessed by demons, they can certainly be influenced and attacked and hurt by demons. Um, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So I'm going to stop there. I knew this is about where I would probably end up getting to. But next week, we'll open up the subject of UFOs and UAPs and all kinds of ancillary issues that go along uh, with that. But before I open the floor uh, to questions, let's not forget 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's no accident that this verse comes right on the heels of verse 3 where we are told the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well and already at work in the world today. And uh, so it's almost like John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, and God, God himself is telling us through his word, that, you know, yeah, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. Many Antichrists have already come. Deception is getting worse and worse. But no matter, we've got Christ, and he wins in the end. So... Uh, just a couple of quick announcements about resources that are available. The uh, podcast from last night that I mentioned, we're calling it End Times Analysis, Revelation, the Rapture, the Gospel, and more fascinating, nearly two-hour discussion. Uh, my discussion with Mark Fontecchio last week on Thursday was called End Times Non-Negotiables. If you haven't heard the message, by the way, these say click here, but that's because they're taken from the website. You can't click on this video if you're watching the video. Nothing's going to happen. But just go to notbyworks.org and you can find the Sunday message on uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, don't forget the upcoming Prophecy Conference uh, at the end of uh, this month. It's coming fast and furious. If you've got the time to make it, love to have you come out May 26th and 27th at the Tulsa Marriott. Uh, and uh, lots of great speakers, myself, Andy Woods, Tommy Ice, and others. Uh, and... Uh, some great topics that we're going to be covering there. All right, with that, I'll open the floor to questions. And we've got some new technology today, which we're going to try out. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear the, uh, the questions if you're watching the live stream or watching the video uh, uh, later. So who has a question or comment? And can I get someone to be my runner for the microphone? Anybody? Do you mind? Thanks. Anybody with a question? Yes, over here. Yeah, the movie Nefarious. Yeah, highly recommend it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's. I mean, it's a must see. Why you don't like it? I just don't know much about it. Yeah, yeah. I would watch it. Yeah, I would watch it. I'm a little unclear when Satan fell from heaven. So when did Satan fall from heaven? Oh, I don't have to actually repeat the question anymore. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, Gary. So the Bible is silent on that issue, but. We know that it had to happen, you know, shortly after uh, the creation of Adam and Eve because uh, God had told Adam and Eve before the fall to be fruitful and multiply. Obviously, there was no uh, adverse effects of sin prior to the fall, so it wasn't like they would have to try to get pregnant. If they tried to get pregnant, they would get pregnant, you know, and I'll just leave it the, the biology of, of it at that. Uh, but... Uh, so the fact that they didn't have a bunch of children at the time of the temptation shows that it was probably fairly soon after creation. Oh, that's the temp that's the the fall of man. So the fall of Satan had to happen, you know, 
sometime before that, because he had to have already fallen, and it had to happen after creation. So the creation was six days, six literal 24-hour days. By the time man's created on the sixth day, as I said, shortly thereafter, he confronted them. So it was a matter of most likely days or weeks. Well, part of my confusion is that during the time of Job, he goes between earth and heaven. Right. He's been tossed out. How's he going back? No, no, no. So that's a great question. So, no, the Revelation 12 that we read is at the midpoint of the tribulation. At that point, he's kicked out. Prior to that, and I quoted Job, if you remember, he has access. So he's had access to heaven ever since he got kicked out of heaven at the coup. He can still go back and forth. He's no longer dwelling there. He's no longer a cherub and serving in God's court. He's now banished in the sense of he's God's archenemy and he's trying to take over the earth. That's why he confronted Adam and Eve. But for the last 6,000 years, he's been able to come and go and he can come and go today. He could go to God's office today, knock on the door and say, I want to do this or I want to accuse this. He's the great accuser. But after the midpoint of the tribulation, as you get closer to the battle of Armageddon, that's where we read in Genesis 12 that he loses this battle and he's, at that point, he has no longer access to heaven at all. He's confined to the earth. So the timing seems to be, and by the way, there's a fascinating study that uh, a friend of mine did for his PhD dissertation that really has me thinking but the potential concept that uh, the fall of man was the fall of Satan from heaven. That in other words, it wasn't step A, step B. Satan fell from heaven as I've taught it, you know, this coup, this failed coup attempt in heaven. So then, he, as you've heard me say many times, he sets his sights on earth and goes and attacks Adam and Eve. Maybe the thing that caused him to fall, that God said, enough's enough, is when he, as an angel or a cherub, goes and seeks to, the same way he did the fallen angels, to get, gather support from both fallen angels and humans in this coup. Come join me. God's lying to you. God just knows that you're going to be like him if you eat it. That's why he's telling you not to eat, and he was lying to them. But either way, uh, I'm not sure about that view, but it is a fascinating view. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of the timing details, but we can narrow it down. It had to be after creation, obviously, and then it, because angels are created, Satan's not eternal. So all the angelic beings, all of creation is created. So we know that started on day one, Genesis one, six days later, it was all done. Uh, Adam and Eve in their unfallen, sinless state uh, were told to uh, populate the earth. Uh, had they been around very long, they, we would have seen a bunch of little Adam and Eve's running around. And the fact that we don't, uh, until after the fall, says that Satan honed in on him quite quickly, is, is what we can say. Yeah? Uh, my question is for um, the digital currency, you're saying that uh, we're to stay away from it, which we want to do, my husband and I, but and we're preparing, but what happens if they do take your house, like you can't pay taxes, you can't yeah. Where are you to go? Like, what? Where would you go, and how would you plan with that when you have all your s supplies with you? <laughs> I know you need a bug out bag, but where would you go? Yeah, so I get that question a lot on you know the digital ID, and obviously you know I can't make someone else's decision. You can't either. Everyone has to just get with the Lord and make that decision. But I do believe very strongly that it should be a line in the sand, uh, and you shouldn't do it. Uh, it will come potentially at a great cost. Um, as the same thing happened with the um, vaccine. 
right? People lost their jobs. They, they couldn't travel. They couldn't spend time with their dying father or mother because they, didn't, they chose not to get that dangerous experimental injection. And so we're not entitled to not suffer if we do the right thing. Um, so, you know, I think we're probably a long way from that time when, you know, they're going to literally drag people from their homes and all that. I, I think, you know, I think they're going to get the low-hanging fruit first. They're going to get the people that comply easily. It's the, like I think I said recently on a podcast, just like they did with the rollout of the vaccine, they're going to use the carrot and the stick. They'll start with the carrot. If you sign up for this soon and early, if you're an early adopter, we're going to give you all kinds of incentives and money and fill up your you know, uh, account with tokens. Uh, so they'll get a bunch of people that way. And then they'll start using a stick. Well, if, you know, you got to use this to get your paycheck at your job. And if you're not willing to sign up for it, you're fired. You know, because the only way you can get paid is through digital currency. Uh, or the only way you can buy groceries is through digital currency. Or the only way you can travel, you know, the only way you can is through the digital ID. They're all connected. So I think they'll start using that. But I think uh, it, it may mean you lose your job. It may mean that you, you have to go underground. You know, it could be any kind of potential negative aspects. But to me, there are fates worse than death, and I would, I would still do it. But you can't plan for every contingency. You just have to pray for the strength and the steel of will to, to do what, what is right. So somebody else. Did you have a question up here? Back about, uh, Hand her that mic so we can capture that. It was back about uh, Satan being fallen from heaven. Why would God even allow him to go back and forth once he's fallen? What is... Why does he have that right and that privilege still Yeah, today? I mean, that's why did he allow him to fall in the first place? God is sovereign, right? So, I mean, it's really a sovereignty, free will question. God has a plan. That, that yeah. He fell by his own choice, but, like, why does God let him have access to heaven still? Why doesn't he call, strike him into the lake of fire right now? Why does he still allow innocent babies to be murdered and accidents to happen and guilty to be set free and that kind of stuff? I mean, it's the same question, the presence of evil. Uh, but God has a plan, and... Uh, it's just going to make his uh, ultimate demise all that much more profound when his when he's cast in the lake of fire. So, I mean, I mean, we just we don't know. We don't have the answers to some of those questions. But it is stuff that kind of keeps you up at night. Yes. So I have um, I've seen some articles about how they talk about AI can read people's minds, or that's coming. What are your thoughts on? that yeah. i i personally i mean i think if you have the holy spirit living in you you are possibly protected from that i mean how can how can something read your thoughts so they can already read your thoughts there's already all kinds of you know documented cases of that it's now admissible in court they can they can uh, throw a people in jail based on readouts of their brain waves that uh, experts will testify this particular readout means they were thinking about murdering. But how do they, how do they know that? They don't, but they claim they do. But they definitely, it is a scientific study and they can definitely map it out and there's some documented evidence that certain thoughts produce certain brainwave activity. And so, uh, you know, having the Holy Spirit does not 
keep us, you know, does not uh, immunize us against, you know, evil. We have a, we still have a fleshly nature too, and so if you cater to the flesh, you can commit anything an unbeliever can commit, and that's why we read here in Second Corinthians, you know, of how important it is to take every thought captive and to guard the mind and to hide the word of God in your heart that I might not sin against thee. So, you know, they can tap into the brains of of a human being biologically and do all kinds of crazy things to a lot of the subjects in mk ultra were believers you know and i mean they they would testify later in books that i've read and so forth yeah i trusted christ as a child and yet i got caught up in all this and they were mind controlling me so you know the the indwelling holy spirit protects us against the indwelling of satan but it doesn't protect us against the elon musks of the world who want to put nodes inside our skull cap and track our brainwave activity. Uh, I, th I think I showed something not long ago on a prophecy night where there was an article that showed an experiment that had just been done where a guy was able, without touching his computer, just through brainwaves, to type out a letter because they were tapping into certain parts of the brain that... So how do they do that? How are they tapping into your brain? They physically put... Yeah, for that experiment, but they can also use, you know, uh, mind control. That's what the whole uh, MK Ultra thing was about. But a lot of it was chemically induced, so it doesn't have to be physical wires. It can be drug induced, but some of it was also neither drug nor physical things. It was totally mental. So they can create triggers to where, when the certain trigger goes off, the mind controlled subject comes into a trance and does what they've been programmed to do. It's the whole programmed assassin thing like we saw in the Jason Bourne movie. So they can do that. I mean, that's, like I said, it's it's uh, pretty scary. You know, we are made in the image of God, highest pinnacle of creation. That's why Satan is so desperate to create life and to create the, the artificial intelligence, the counterpart to God's highest pinnacle. And he wants it to be better. You know, he wants to create that bionic man. We can build him back better, you know, that type of thing. And uh, and he won't ultimately be able to create life out of nothing, but he's tapping into a lot of the realities of the complexity of this incredible creation we call humanity. You know, what do they say? You only use a fraction of, you know, the, the mind power that you have. We don't even know, you know. Um, so yeah, that's one of the reasons I think we're getting closer and closer. I just think he's so close, Satan, to conquering every remaining frontier that at some point you just got to go, God's going to say enough's enough, right? You just have to think that. I hope so. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else, yeah. Did you happen to see um, Prophecy Watchers this week with Gary Stearman and Mondo? And Gary talked about his experience years ago with a friendly UFO that helped him? No, but him. I've heard him tell that story before. I talked to Mondo this week, but we didn't talk about that or in the last couple of days, yeah. Have you heard of friendly, good UFOs? Oh, sure, good yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, angels? you know, ain't the same thing that, in terms of the manifestations, good angels can do the same thing. So we see them taking on human form, we see them taking on, their angels are messengers fundamentally, so they can bring encouragement, or if they're a fallen angel, they can bring you know, evil and fear and just, you know, certain. By the way, I'm going to be traveling to Oklahoma City on the 15th to do another series of uh, TV shows. So I'm really excited about that at 
Prophecy Watchers. I guess what we were wondering is, do you want to ask what you asked when we, t we were talking about it? And he said, he was asking my husband, um, why would God use a physical UFO to help him and not just help him? Like, oh, God, do the same thing uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13. Beware to entertain a stranger because you might be entertaining an angel unaware. So that guy that helped you change your flat tire, it might have been an angel. That guy that, you know, gave you $20 in the parking lot of the grocery store when you were in college because you needed lunch money, that might have been an angel. We don't know. So God uses time, space, and matter physicalities to achieve his ends. He doesn't have to do that. Go back and watch uh, the video that I did. I think it was in our Hebrews series here at Plum Creek called Seeing the Supernatural. And I differentiated in there the types of supernatural activity that sometimes God literally just intervenes and there's no human or physical agent involved. He just does it, like parting the Red Sea. But sometimes he uses some type of intermediary cause. It's still God intervening, but he chooses to use something else. So that would be where I'd put that, you know, experience. Well, what I don't understand is why God would use or an angel would use a craft when in the Bible in the past they didn't use a craft, they manifested themselves as man. So why would he have to manifest or create a craft? That seems like a delusion. So I can't speak for the interpretation of Gary's experience, though I believe what he says and that, that I, I believe he's probably right. But uh, it's not uncommon for God. He used a donkey. He used handwriting on a wall. He used all kinds of things to get people's attention, right? He does, and he, he could use a craft for that same reason. There might have been, you know, Gary's a, a pilot, and so he's always been interested in UFOs, and maybe God used it in his particular case because he knew it would be particularly encouraging to him. I don't know. But God's not limited to just using men. Angels in human form always manifest as males, but we see other manifestations of a burning bush, you know, uh, we see, you know, like I said, the donkeys, handwriting on a wall, all kinds of examples where God is making himself known in a special revelatory way, but not through a human being. So I don't know. But again, I'm not necessarily saying that that incident that he describes as a good UFO, you know, I, I have no problem theologically with that at all, and I have no doubt that that's probably what it was, but just because... He, he's interpreting it that way doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but it could be true. Good question. Anybody else? Yes. Ask, have you seen or do you know of an uptick in <clears throat> Grab that mic there just so I'm we can. Sorry. I'd like to ask if you have seen or if you know of an uptick in telepathic activity or telepathic experiences that oh, people yeah. have said, have shared. Yeah, so that's what remote viewing is ultimately. So remote viewing, I don't know if I went into a lot of detail with it, but the government used it, and there's documented cases of this, and, and not only the government in terms of uh, military, but even local police departments and so forth, um, where they would use remote viewing and be able to find missing people. It's very similar to uh, clairvoyance, but not exactly the same thing. It's, it's you project in your mind to another place and then you can see what's happening there even though you're a thousand miles away. And so um, they've documented cases of this in warfare and that's why the government spent so much money in 
and time on it. And that's what, you know, Russell Targ and Ingo Swan and, and all those guys that I talked about, Hal Put- Putoff and some of them were, were doing. And Do you think that um, God could have a part in it too, that maybe, I, I, I have had some powerful experiences and I don't know if they're particularly unusual. I mean, as far as, um, it could be personality type or just sensitivity sure. in general too. But I'm wondering if you, th- if you think that that is a demonic type of thing in at, at its root or would that be something that God could still no, use I as a supernatural God manifestation? Could do it. I get this question a lot and I've thought about it a lot through the years that you know God gives people intuition he gives people a sense he can do that go back and watch my message I think it was in Acts actually anyway one of the recent sermon series I did it was on dreams and I talked about how um, you know God can use good angels to do things not in a revelatory way I'm not talking about new revelation special revelation I'm just talking about encouraging so in the same way I mean think about it this way for those uh, skeptics who are starting to think this guy's going a little bit off the reservation for my theology all right let me let me get you to think about it don't you don't have to believe me but just think about it at the end of the day how different is it when you you some some friend of yours says a kind word of encouragement and you go, wow, that just really ministered to me. I really needed it. It was very timely. You know, Proverbs, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Um, and if the Holy Spirit can orchestrate that, how different is it really if he does the same thing through some type of angelic being whom we already know are ministering servants theologically and we already know can I- interact with us in a human realm as human men. How? So absolutely, I think that the Spirit of God on a personal case-by-case basis could give you some, let's just say, paranormal or non-normal encounter for an encouraging reason in the same way that Satan and his demons do it for a discouraging, hateful, killing-type reason. Uh, Now, that's not to say that there's an angel behind every bush or there's a demon behind every bush. I think some of it's just, you know, the normal things of life. Some of it's emotion. Some of it is, you know, you can hear a song and it, you know, just really brings you to tears or brings back memories. You know, the old, who was it, Leanne Rhymes or somebody, the song Remembers When, whoever ever sung that song, that kind of thing. Um, and so not every time you have a warm, fuzzy feeling is that an angel of God tapping you on the shoulder. But I do think theologically I have no problem with the God using angelic messengers for for good in the same way that Satan uses fallen angelic messengers for evil. No question about it. Anybody else? Okay, well, um, we'll pick up again next week. I, I hope that we sufficiently, uh, you know, put to rest the biblical, you know, basis for this or showed quite clearly there's a biblical basis for all of this. Um, Encourage you to you know look into some of it yourself. Uh, check out the bibliographies in both of my two most recent books, and it'll give you plenty of fodder to, to look into. Uh, you may come up with different conclusions here and there. I, I, I'm okay with that. It's a work in progress. We're never going to get it all right this side of heaven. I'm sure I'll change my view a time or two if the Lord doesn't come back soon. But I think at the big picture, it's important to understand there's a cosmic battle going on, and it is really heating up all around us everywhere we go. Amen? All right, well, thanks for coming tonight, and we will see you next, uh, next time.